This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we will be visiting with a very special veterinarian, Dr. Alice Villalobos. And Dr. Villalobos is the director of Pospis in Hermosa Beach, California. And she also runs the Animal Oncology Consultation Service in Woodland Hills, California. And Dr. Villalobos is a leader in veterinary hospice. And that's the subject we're going to talk about today, the loss of our working dogs, because that's something that a lot of you, our listeners, have asked us to talk about and have a conversation about. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Dr. Villalobos to the show and we begin that conversation. Sit, stay, we'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. designerpetsweaters.com hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat beautiful couture patterns for your pets including custom-knitted formal wear casual wear yachting and even sports themed many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats top hats and a lot of sparkle each sweater includes leg loops front paw sleeves and leash opening visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today large or small we fit them all designerpetsweaters.com let's talk pets on petliferadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Hello, Dr. Villalobos, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Marcy. Well, and hi, so Whistle. <laughs> <laughs> well, Whistle and I are so glad you could be here with us. I mean, we've really been looking forward to having you on the show and talking about this sensitive and, and difficult topic for so many of our listeners, myself included, but it's something that we need to talk about because it's inevitable and it's life and it doesn't have to be a horrible situation. We want to have better end of life situations for our working dogs. So we're so happy that you can be here today to to talk with us about that. Thank you so much. Well, you know, the first thing that I I think that everybody is really concerned about is quality of life. When end of life is coming, we're not really sure, you know, sometimes it sneaks up on us and sometimes it just knocks you over because dogs defend uh, how they feel. They hide many of their disabilities. And so quite often when we discover that our pet uh, has a life-limiting condition, it's a crisis because they didn't let us know. For instance, if a dog is jumping, a work dog, and he breaks his leg, 
just on a simple jump, that break might be at a place where there's some bone cancer that you didn't know about earlier. And so quite often we have, you know, shocking diagnosis and a trauma. Sometimes a dog, especially shepherds and big dogs like, um, oh, golden retrievers, uh, shepherds, you know, large breed dogs, they'll just crash uh, and just sit down and, and it's because they have a, a tumor in their spleen that ruptured and, and it bled. All their blood, you know, or a whole lot of their blood goes into their abdominal cavity and they're in shock. So we have, you know, crisis symptoms that cause us to have immediate decision-making problems. And then we also have chronic conditions like osteoarthritis, you know, where there's hip dysplasia that we knew it was there. We knew that they had a heart condition, but it's just getting worse. So it's when the pet gets into the decline towards death that I think that we can say, you know, here's where our ears need to be perked up and here's where we want to look at quality of life. And I have a scale that I put together a long time ago, actually a decade ago. This is the 10-year anniversary. And in fact, I didn't even think about it until talking to you. Wow. 10-year <laughs> <laughs> anniversary for the quality of life scale. And uh, in fact, I published it in September of 2004. So it, it will have an official celebration for that. Yeah. But there's a lot of things to look at in quality of life, but I've boiled it down to only seven criterion. And uh, the criterion are really easy to remember because I call the scale the HUM scale, and it's got five H's and two M's. So if you think about the five H's, it's really easy to stand up in front of your friends or, and, you know, if you're giving a little talk to people who are interested in dogs, to remember them. The first one is hurt, H. There should be no hurt, and there should be no hydration problems. That's another H. And then there's, there should be no hunger problems. The body shouldn't be, you know, needing calories and the, and the patient's not getting them. And then the other, uh, that's three H's. The other one is hygiene. And then the last of the H's is happiness. And uh, we can discuss those in detail. I know we have plenty of time this morning, but very important to, to know the five H's. No hurt, no hydration problems, no hunger problems, no hygiene problems, and lots of happiness. And then there's two M's. The first one is mobility. And uh, for working dogs, they really need to have their mobility. That's one of the things that it doesn't mean that they can't have a quality of life. Like a little dog that can't move, we can carry them. But if it's a big dog, it can be a big problem. So mobility, you know, when we're making a score, we can have a dog that has a zero mobility but still have a good quality of life. So that's one of those what we call arbitrary areas. And uh, I'm sure, you know, Marcy, that you're very well aware of, of that, especially with a bigger oh, yes. dog. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I know. I, I, yes. I love your quality of life scale. I and mean, please tell us what the last M is for. The last M is more good days than bad days. And that's a big yeah. deal because uh, dogs and cats think about life on, in the now. That's why they're not mad at you when you're home five hours late. Yeah. Because you're home, you're home now. <laughs> and so when they're suffering, and if it's all bad days, it turns into, you know, like a, a consistent downer for them. And they get another condition called depression. And, you know, it's almost desperation. And yeah. because we shelter our dogs from the elements, we're really not letting nature take its course where they would be instantly gone from predation. You know, wolves would get the disabled animals and uh, the elements. Mm -hmm. So in, in nature, you know, we don't have 
a lot of decline, end-of-life decline, because, you know, in nature, they're turned into part of the food chain, and they would be gone quickly. But in homes, Mm -hmm. we protect their pets from the elements and from predators. So we can go over these criterion if you wanted to stick to quality of life, or all of your listeners can just look up at my website at Pospis and download that scale. The quality of life scale is under resources and quality of life. I think we even have a quality of life page, but we even have one for cats. And I know there's not too many working cats, but some are. (laughs) Um, So we never want to forget America's most popular pet is the cat. So easily people can download that. And if you wanted to go on to other topics, you certainly, we certainly can because my articles discuss each of the items very closely. But I wanted to, to mention about number one, hurt. Some people don't realize that the inability to breathe properly is the number one pain that people tell us that they experience. And so when an animal, a dog especially, with a fur coat is having trouble breathing, all we see sometimes is just a higher rate of panting and maybe they're moving their chest, you know, with a little bit more of an abnormality or they're Mm -hmm. breathing from their belly, their abdominal breathing. And so some people don't realize that their dog is having trouble breathing, but that is the greatest pain that people list and I, I say that if you can't breathe, nothing else matters. So yeah. that, if you get a zero on breathing ability, that completely should stop us. And you need to go to the doctor immediately, have it taken care of. It's an emergency. And if the doctors or, you know, the veterinarians are unable to help the breathing situation, then, you know, we, we basically try to help people make the decision for the pet's best interest so they don't suffer further. Yeah. Well, I know because the bond between our pets and the humans is just incredible. But to me, that's like a relationship that is taken to the next level. I mean, it is so amped up when you have a working dog and the trust and that relationship. And so it's so hard for people to know when it's time to let their working dog go. So I'm so thankful for your quality of life scale. But I I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, because people can see these things and they can know in their minds that, yes, my dog is experiencing some issues, but how do you really scale it so that you know when it's time to let your dog go? Well, you mentioned the word scale, and I think that that helps a lot because so often it's an emotional feeling, and there was a time in the turn of the century, in year 2000, which isn't too long ago, where veterinarians were telling each other, we can't evaluate quality of life, and I disagreed on that completely. I said, no, we can. We should be able to help people figure out what quality of life is for a pet. So it is very hard to know, but the fact is if you pull out the quality of life scale and you start giving everything a a score from zero, meaning the worst, to 10, you know, like the happiest, the best, my dog is happy even though she doesn't have mobility. You give it a 10, and at the end of the the seven criterion, there's seven of them, then the patient should have at least 35 for the score. And if it's 35 and above, you can rock and roll and continue. But if it's starting to be 35 and down to 30 and to 25, the doctor, the veterinarian can help you increase 
some of these criterion where the pet can have better hydration. Maybe you can learn how to give sub-Q fluids at home. Maybe you can learn how to hand feed your dog. Maybe you can keep him cleaner. You know, butt baths really help, especially if the pet has issues. And, and in the hygiene area, we also talk about bed sores because some dogs that can't move well are going to develop bed sores if they're not turned over frequently or they're going to have issues with their breathing where their lungs literally get like a wet sponge if they're laying on one side for too long. So we need to rotate them and make sure that they don't get the bed sores, okay? So Mm -hmm. there's lots of things that we can do to increase each one of these criterion and increase the happiness of the pet. Supposing one client went home, well, ever since she had that tumor in her mouth, she stinks really bad, so we keep her outside or in the garage. And I go like, wait a minute, that isn't her normal place. So, you know, the thing is about happiness, the pet should be with the family. If the pet is disabled, we need to bring them in a bed where the family is watching TV or eating dinner. Make sure that there's lots of interaction so that they're happy and not bored and not frustrated and not alone. Otherwise, life's not worth living. You know, if you just go out and feed them and, you know, change the bandage, that's not right. Yeah, in humans, absolutely. In humans, they call that hospitalism. Mm-hmm. You know, the, when the little babies, the little orphans in the Russian and Polish orphanages, the only time they got handled was when they were being changed or being fed, and they developed this thing called hospitalism. They, they, they didn't get attention other than that, and that they just get very depressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I know my second dog, Morgan, got very depressed when he couldn't work any longer because of health issues. And so I would dress him every day in his backpack, even though he was Aww. really, yeah. And luckily I work at home. So he was able to come in my office, lay in my wheelchair at my desk, and he still thought he was working every day. How and cool I, is that? I, yeah. He was blind and deaf, but he was on the job. And I mean, what that did for his self esteem. And, and like you said, it extended his life because he felt like he was still contributing and still in his, his that role. That's so cool, Marcy. <laughs> so help me, you're in a wheelchair yourself? I am. Oh I my am. gosh. So you're, you're the real thing. I'm You're the, the real, real deal, deal. Dr. Villalobos. I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. That's great that you are really talking from the heart. Uh, yeah, and that uh, Whistle is your buddy, your partner, and your yes, assistant, yes. and, you know, your working dog. Yes, well, that's and fabulous. Whistle, and Whistle is aging, and so he will be retiring this year. How He's old starting- is he? He's nine, and nine. he's starting starting to have some health issues, so I will be transitioning to a successor dog, but as you know, that takes a while, so it'll probably be about oh, a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Whistle will start working part-time now, and then he will transition into retirement, but I think Whistle will be happy in retirement because he's a big playboy and likes to play, so I think it will be easier for him than it was for Morgan because Morgan was just all about his job. And Whistle loves to work, but Whistle is is a more well-rounded young man, and so he likes lots of toys and, and to play. So oh, I'm hoping, great. but I definitely hear and echo what you're saying about how to make sure that, and how I have always felt is, my dogs have done so much for me that when they're getting to the end of their life, that's when I can step up and do for them and give back to them what they've given me all these years. Exactly. And, you know, putting on that harness, you know, really is amazing. I had my great Pyrenees 
at the end of her life. And she wasn't a work dog, but you know Pyrenees are big workers. Oh, yes, and, yes. You know, big workers. And, uh, you know, her job at the house was, you know, to, to watch the West 40 and all that stuff. <laughs> and when she couldn't do it, what I found that she really enjoyed was just getting up, going outside, and sniffing the bushes and coming back. You know, she loved to go for her walks. And we only used to take like one or two walks a day, but we turned it into eight walks a day. We would get her up because she had degenerative myelopathy, which we'll talk about, by the way, because that's a big mobility issue for the large dogs. Her back legs were weak, so I would help her get up. And, then, and I'd, uh, she didn't like the doggy wheelchair. She didn't like it. So I trained her to allow me to help her up with her big tail. And you know, the tail is an extension of the spinal cord, very strong. And if you can get your dog adjusted to lifting them up, it just helps them get up. They get up. And she would stand and we'd go and I'd hold her tail because otherwise she'd fall sometimes. Mm -hmm. And she was such a big dog that no one even knew that I was holding her tail. And uh, we'd go and sniff the bushes next door and, you know, just one or two houses down and come back. And she was so happy to come back home. And it was just great because they live in present time. You know, that's what I'm saying is that she had the joy of getting up and going out and reading the doggy newspaper that we call the P-Stops. And uh, and then coming back and and that's what yes. you were doing for old Morgan is uh, yes. putting his harness on. He's okay. I'm I've got my adrenaline going. I've got my yep. endorphins up, and happiness is huge. And they've even shown that's in human medicine. People who have cancer, the breast cancer study group, the women who walked three hours a week lived twice as long as that women that didn't. And that's getting your endorphins up, going outside, saying hello, you know, just being happy. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, I can't stress that enough. Happiness is huge in uh, the quality of life. Well, we are just going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and continue talking with Dr. Villalobos because I have a lot of other questions and things we need to talk about. So I'm come sure you right do. back. I do. <laughs> we'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with Dr. Alice Villalobos, and we're talking about quality of life and and end of life 
for our beloved working dogs. And I just love all of the things that you're sharing with us, Dr. Villalobos. It's just so important as we all will be facing this one day to help our working dogs in their lives gracefully and respectfully. And you were talking about the quality of life scale. And I love that. And we'll definitely make that available to our listeners on our website so that they can link and get to your site. Yeah, you Um, can link right up to our Pospis site. And um, I call it Pospis because it rhymes with hospice, but it's much, much more. Because in hospice, in human hospice, they don't enhance death. They don't do anything to make the person die sooner. But in veterinary medicine, society has given us this great gift to help pets die when they're dying so they don't have to suffer to death the way so many people do, which has always been and is a big issue. Many states are now having that discussion to see if we can help people when they're at the end of their life to help them pass peacefully and painlessly. But hospice embraces standard care. We'll treat the cancer patient if they have advanced cancer. We'll treat them, but with kinder, gentler treatments, treatments that don't cause side effects. Now, we're so used to that in humans where people will get treatments that make them sick. Well, we don't do that in hospice at all. What we do is we help them have gentle treatment that backs the cancer down a little bit by slowing it down. We're not going to cure them because so many are incurable anyway, but we help them have a longer, happier life. And that's what it's about. And it transitions to hospice, which is comfort care at the end when the dog is actually declining towards death. And that's, you know, death has three stages. There's death where you're, you're declining, and then there's the middle stage where you're not sure that the patient is going to die this week, but it could, you know, even within hours. But then the real, what we call active dying, is when the breathing pattern changes. And, you know, the pet is struggling for breath, and, you know, and that's the part that we really are trying to help them leave. And quite often, we can help them transition with the gift of euthanasia, and the doctors can come to the home, or you can take your dog directly to the veterinarian. Big dogs can go on stretchers. I help people make a taco by rolling your dog onto a blanket. Two girls can pick up a big dog if one gets on each side and take them to the doctor. So it just depends how, how you're planning, but I always have people think about the end so that they know what to do. You know, so often people tell me, I don't know what to do. Think about it. You know, we're all like actors. You don't know when you're supposed to go on stage. The dog will let you know. And then as soon as your cue to go on stage, you know, to do what you have to do, what you know you have to do, you just do it. And then, you know, you know you're doing the right thing and you're going to give your dog the best passing possible. And then you can come home and cry and, and say, God, I did it, you know, because it, it's often you feel surreal when you're at that very last moment. But it's, it's truly something that we can help people prepare, just like we do read lines, you know, for an actor. You know what you have to do. You know where you're going. You have plan A, plan B, plan C. Plan A might be to see your own doctor. Plan B might be to have an emergency room. And plan C could be to have a house call doctor, or it could be vice versa. You could have the house call doctor be plan A, plan B to be your your veterinary hospital, and plan C would be the emergency room. But as long as you think about it, the end of life, you know, what are you going to do when that moment comes? Then you're prepared and you're not like frantic. 
I hope that helps yeah. a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's certainly what I what we suggested in our book, Working Like Dogs. Absolutely, Good. is to think about it way ahead of time when you're not in crisis, you know, so that you can really make the best decisions for yourself, so that afterwards you can have that comfort knowing that you did what you knew was best for your working dog. And I know a lot of people have a lot of fear and anxiety about euthanasia. And they're it's worried. True. Oh my God. Yeah. They dread it like death never happens. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. wait a minute, we just have a culture that has been so much in the avoidance of yes. uh, wrinkles, <laughs> yeah. let alone, yeah. you know, getting older and having, you know, that death comes. Our right. culture has been so averse to uh, aging and dying that, you know, people overreact and get all panicked about it. But the thing is, it's just nature. It's natural. And if we fall in love with a dog, especially a big dog, I constantly remind my clients and that, okay, you made an agreement with God. You love a St. Bernard. You love a Irish wolfhound. You love a German shepherd, a golden retriever. What breed is Whistle, by the way? Whistle is half golden retriever and half lab. Okay, so you fell in love with a golden retriever. They have the highest rate of cancer. Yep. And my practice is full of golden retrievers. Boxers, Bernese Mountain Dogs have high rates of cancers. Labradors are not too far behind. And just so you know that the uh, one in four dogs under the age of 10 will get cancer and one in two dogs over the age of 10 will die from cancer. So it's really common. Yeah. And so we are looking at this agreement that we fell in love with a dog that God created, and he's going to give us a decade for most of them. Sometimes you get less. If it's a big, giant dog, you're going to get less generally, like a Great Dane or a Wolfhound, because some people can't get their giant Rotties to get past seven or eight, and they're the same thing for the other breed breeds. But if you fall in love with a dog, you're going to get a decade generally. Some get more, some get less, and you can't break that agreement. You know, that's their time, life. That's their lifespan, And so when it's time for them to die, we can't change that. We need to, like, accept it and treat death as part of life and help children understand that. A lot of people have children in the home, and they're trying to hide the fact that Morgan is nine years old, he's old, and that, you know, he's going to live out his days in retirement until the day that his quality of life is not good and and mom and dad will take him to the doctor or we're going to have a doctor come to the home to help him leave, you know, to go over the rainbow bridge where all dogs go. And, you know, you talk to children differently, but you make sure you never use the word put to sleep because then the kids get afraid of sleeping. Right, you know. right. So kids know what dying is. I always tell them about flowers and how they bloom and then they wilt and how they, they die. And I tell the children that, you know, Morgan is like a flower and he's here with us for his his lifetime until he starts to wilt. And the wilting part is what we're talking about, the quality of life scale. We don't mind them in the wilt stage, but when they're dying, we want to help him leave yeah. so he doesn't have to suffer. So kids understand this. And uh, we also recommend big time that you plan a ceremony for honoring the life of the pet and that the children are very involved in this process, that they get to decide, you know, how they want to do it, what picture they want to put up, what candles they want to light. We always recommend making a little shrine for the pet, you know, with pictures and with the poems, the children can write a story. And in fact, I'm sure if you know this, Marcy, but one of the best ways for people to process grief is to sit down and write 
who that person was to you know to me. Yeah. So you would yeah you would write about who is Whistle to me and who is he to my friends and how was our life together. So writing about it is really therapeutic for children and for adults. And as you know, the eulogy, the pet page eulogies, eulogies now are fantastic. I have one at my Pospis website. I also refer my many of my clients to the Animal Health Foundation, which is you know, encompasses all of Southern California. You know, the dogs and cats. We had the most beautiful eulogy for a little parakeet. So the human-animal bond is absolutely an enormous and wonderful place for people to live, children as well as adults, and it's different for each pet-person relationship. But planning a ceremony and honoring the life of the pet is so comforting. You know, we don't have that for pets very much these days. And yet when a person dies, you know, there's the whole, there's the rosary, there's the viewing, there's the funeral, there's the wake, you know, there's the event afterwards. But when a pet dies, sometimes, you know, people expect you to show up to work that day. Right. You know, no, no. Society is now understanding, wait a minute, we know your dog just died. That means you just lost your best friend. Well, and for working dogs, it's so much more than just more. a friendship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, L- let I, me tell you, I went to speak to the group at um, Guide Dogs about mm-hmm. loss, and you know how important a guide dog is oh, for a yes. person. Independence, yes. and, and incredible. So uh, they wanted to know how they can adjust. And, you know, of course, getting a new guide dog is not easy, as you know. That There's yep. a transition period. How long will you have to wait to get uh, probably a Probably a year at a best. Year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did, did you already file for a, I sure a new did. dog? Yep. You did. Yep. Good. You're I prepared. Did. But if Whistle had suddenly gotten sick, you could be stuck a whole year. If That's Whistle right. got hemangiosarcoma, which is the cancer in the spleen we talked about where they just, you know, bleed out of their belly and it's a crisis. Yeah. I had that happen with my first dog. Yes. You did? I did, oh. yes. What she had she was she was the same as Whistle, half lab, half golden. But she got sick very suddenly and had to be retired and then she passed away quickly. So it was very quick the retirement, which you know, people have asked me, How do you deal with that? And I say the only thing I can compare it to is becoming disabled all over again. Because sure. all of oh, a yeah, sudden, you go back into lose. that world of helplessness. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. I lose the ability to go out at night, to pick up my mm-hmm. keys in a parking lot if I drop them. All of mm-hmm. those things that I depend on my dog for. So it is, it's really devastating. And the more you can plan, which is why when I started noticing Whistle slowing down a little bit and he turned nine. So at his birthday was when I decided I that was what I would have my application done by his ninth birthday. And I Good did. Good for you. Good for you, and I'm hoping that your listeners take your total forward advice. You know, and it's kind of hard to admit to ourselves that time, you know, a decade has passed by, and I'm not that much older, but my dog's lifespan is about over. It's hard to deal with that, but it's so important to transition because you're making a transition. That's right. And then the fun thing is that you may have two dogs for quite a while. Oh, that's that's what I say. I'm the luckiest girl in the world when I have two service dogs in my home. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? Absolutely. (laughs) Never be afraid to be alone. (laughs) I know. I know. It really is. I do feel like I'm the luckiest girl in the world then. One thing that just crossed my mind for you and for your listeners is I actually have a whole program for longevity for dogs to help dogs get into their old age with fewer issues. I have a whole protocol called immunonutrition. 
and we can talk about that at another show or you can yeah, you well, delve into it. I know. That's well, unfortunately, great. our time is coming to an end today, but I would love for you to come back and talk about that. I think that would be awesome for our listeners. I think great. for myself, might, I know I'd be interested. Yeah, it might actually keep working dogs like Whistle working until they're 12. Yeah. Because they are stronger. We can help them be much stronger in old age and not have arthritis take over and cause them to be, you know, less mobile. So, yeah, yeah. we'll do that again. That sounds great. Well, as we are closing, if there's one piece of advice, Dr. Villalobos, that you could give our listeners, what would that be as they are facing these end-of-life decisions for their working dog? I think the best advice I can give these incredible listeners that you have are to be prepared, just like they tell you to be prepared for a disaster. End of life should not be a disaster. It should be something that you anticipate because you love a dog that has a life span that's a tenth of yours. And so that means you're going to go through loss. So be ready, be prepared. If you need to talk to a pet loss counselor, there's a national group you can go in a chat room. Uh, it's called the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement. A P is in you know pet loss. B is for bereavement.org. They have a chat room every night, and they even have a chat room about anticipatory grief because you know a lot of people who are being prepared they start to getting grief stricken, and they're just filled with fear. And you know some people don't even have a they even ruin their days, the the healthy days that their dog has. They don't see it because they're just thinking about my life without my dog. So be prepared. I hope I've answered your question. Yeah, well, thank you so much for all of your insights and your wisdom. We really appreciate it. And we do want you to come back and continue this conversation because I think we still have a lot more to talk about. Well, let's hope it's not a whole year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll make that happen. And thank you so much. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We really appreciate you joining us today. And thank you for your emails. Whistle and I love to hear from you. And we really would love to hear from you about this topic that we've been talking about today. And and if you'd share with us what you did and how you dealt with the end of life for your working dogs and, and how you got through this monumental loss. So please keep those emails coming. You can do that at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. And we will have Dr. Villalobos' information up on the site and her website information. So thanks so much for being with us and take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.